Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Greg Priest. And what you quite often find is that by adding maybe an opinion into the title or by adding um, some stakes, like that you need to know this if you're trying to do this, by adding a little bit more context to a title, we can make our video unique, stand up from the crowd and, and uh, get attention to that video rather than losing it in, in the sea of videos that are the same as ours in essence. Hi there and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're watching or listening. Welcome to the Personal Brand Business Show, where every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing their expertise and building a business they love. If you're new to the show, then while you have your device in your hand, take a second to subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you're a regular listener, then consider sharing the show with just one person, just one and it's the very best way you can help the show grow and help me reach more people. And if you're watching on YouTube, we'll be speaking about this shortly, but if you're watching on YouTube, take a second to subscribe and give the show a like and leave a comment if you have any questions or if an insight hits you. Now, this week, we're going to be diving into YouTube strategy with a particular emphasis on the educational expert or entrepreneur. YouTube can seem intimidating. It can seem oversaturated and often getting start can feel overwhelming. And if you're like me, keeping going can seem sometimes completely futile. But if that's you, then my guest this week, Greg Priest, is going to change all of that. Greg, welcome to the show. Wow. What an introduction. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I worked on that for five minutes. <laughs> now, I've been looking forward to speaking to you for a long time because we've been bouncing comments back and forth on LinkedIn for a little yeah. while. And as a byproduct of that, I've seen what you've been doing on LinkedIn, uh, rather on Instagram, nonsense on YouTube. <laughs> and I've been really impressed. Now, for the listener, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself in, in a moment, but sure. Greg has, I did write it down, 96,000 YouTube subscribers, which yeah. is a big number. And I'm hoping today we can get that to 100,000. I don't think we will. Every but, little helps. <laughs> but for the listener meeting you for the very first time, can you maybe just start by telling me a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Sure. So my self-title that I give myself these days is YouTube Strategist for Educational Entrepreneurs. What that pretty much means is people like coaches, public speakers, um, consultants, self-employed people that are kind of growing a business themselves um, and becoming known as specialists in their fields and thought leaders, I help them do well on YouTube and grow their business through their YouTube channel. So what you described there, the entrepreneur, uneducational entrepreneur, coach, consultant, I'm putting my hand up for the listener. That's all me. So for the listener, you can experience a self-indulgent journey for me this, 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 well, whenever you're listening. Yeah. What's interesting is I think, and this is true of a lot of platforms, there are people at all different stages of the journey, people who are mm. thinking about it. So people who are probably already quite successful as YouTubers, but you can have people with very small platforms and very small audiences commercially doing very well. Definitely. People with very big audiences, actually commercially, not necessarily doing very well. Mm -hmm. So when you're triaging somebody's presence, shall we call it, what are the kind of things that you're looking at, first of all, 
Sure, yeah. So as you just suggested, financial success on YouTube isn't always necessarily tied to size of audience on YouTube. So one thing I try to assess is what their approach to their YouTube channel is. I, I find that you typically get two types of approaches to YouTube. You get people who are really on there because they just want to get as many views as possible. And they haven't really thought about much more apart from that. That's their plan. I want to be as popular and big as possible. And they're just chasing those kind of vanity numbers. And I don't see that really as an entrepreneurial approach to YouTube. I think that's a hobbyist or a general approach. But on the contrary to that, on the flip side, you get a second group of people who the view counts on their videos don't matter as much as long as the business that they're running alongside their YouTube channel, behind their YouTube channel does well as a result of their YouTube presence. And I'm typically looking for those types of people to work with them and help them evolve and kind of master that that approach to YouTube rather than the, the general approach to YouTube. So when, when people connect with you, what are their typical motivators? What are the, what are the triggers that have led to them reaching out to you? Sure. So the motivators I look for and, and I hope um, that people have when they approach me is they want to get sales. So potentially they're new to video, they're new to this whole influencer thing and they don't really feel comfortable around how to convert viewers to paying customers. They don't know what that kind of blueprint looks like. Um, so that's definitely one trigger, how to, how to get sales from viewers. I also get people earlier in the process who haven't even started their YouTube channel yet. And they know they want their channel to grow their business, but they just have no idea how to approach it, how to even think about starting on YouTube. What, what are they going to make videos about? What does their personal image need to look like? Um, how do they do, they've heard of SEO, but how do they do SEO? Or do they even need to be doing SEO? So people that just have no clue whatsoever, but they understand the benefits of YouTube, I try and help them. And then I guess the third customer type or that I work with client type, someone who's on YouTube for a while, probably doing quite well, but they just feel like they could tighten things up. Maybe they're not growing as fast as they feel like they could be growing. Maybe they're running out of video ideas. Maybe they're losing clarity around what their complete business plan is involving their channel. And they just kind of want someone to shoot ideas on and, and shoot ideas with and make sense of their overall strategy. So do you fit into any of those three client types, Bob? Probably. <laughs> so I identify, and I think as a lot of the people that I speak to, my clients who are on YouTube, will often share the same thing, that they got frustrated with lack of growth. Mm. That you can work extremely hard to get to a certain point, but unless you're always pushing, 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 nothing ever happens. And something that I've observed is that unless you're quite obviously the guy who does the thing, it's really difficult to attract people. Here for, for the listener, we're, we're kind of talking about niching or niching. And I feel this is my own feeling. And I think this is something that people probably quite often feel is that the more you niche, there's a kind mm -hmm. of underlying anxiety that by doing so, you might be trivializing. Trivializing, trivializing how so? In what way? Well, so if you take my business, I'm, I'm 
I'm helping people on a fairly specific journey. I help people build market and monetize their personal brand. But that's actually very general because that is something that anybody in the expert space would recognize as valuable. So it's not very niche. To to some people, it might sound quite niche, but it's pretty much any solo business owner, really. So how can I tighten that niche without being seen as, oh, he only does that? So let's say I were to niche into video confidence or corporate influencer or podcast coach, because those are all aspects of what I do, but mm-hmm. they're, they're components. I guess there's a, a supplementary question to this, which is something I've seen other people doing where they will have separate channels for each of these different aspects or facets sure. of what they do. So when you meet somebody like me, who is quite a generalist in real sense, how do you advise them on that? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. And to be honest with you, I'm still learning best practices here because it's, there's not a simple answer to this question. So this is something I've been talking a lot with much bigger YouTubers that I'm interviewing at the moment weekly on my podcast channel chats, how they grew so big. So big. And what I'm learning is packaging and presenting and targeting your videos to a broader audience as possible is actually the secret to massive growth on YouTube. And and having heard this week after week after week after I'm talking to these large YouTubers, I'm realizing that a lot of us smaller YouTubers are actually niching ourselves out of potential growth and potential audience size. So I think there is a balancing act to play there. I think as entrepreneurs on YouTube, we obviously need to be making sure we're making videos to our target audience, to our target customer. But at the same time, we don't, we want to be making videos that attract all of our target customers and not just a slither of that target customer. So I think we always need to think when we're making a video, am I making this too narrow? And and is there a step up or even a step after that I can go to make it a broader appeal, you know, and and not niche myself out of, of growth. I can give you examples of that if you, if you need, but that's the general theory. So if you were to take me, for example, mm-hmm. listening to you, I've been thinking, need to get tighter, need to get tighter. But in reality, I might be looking at the men over 45 business mm-hmm. show. That's way broader, much broad, more broad appeal. Start bringing in, and this is not, not something I'm likely to do, but you could almost argue that a lifestyle vlog would have more broad appeal than specific advice around the kind of work that I do. Yeah. It's one thing I will say that might help create clarity around this is one thing I've noticed from talking to larger YouTubers and studying this stuff day in, day out is a singular value of a channel is the key to huge growth. So if you think of you're the biggest YouTubers out there, and I'm, I'm going to move away from entrepreneurs and to entrepreneurs, just for example, just to try and cover a, a wide enough array of examples so that people might uh, recognize at least one of these examples. So I guess Mr. Beast, biggest YouTuber on the platform. Yeah. You know when you come to Mr. Beast's channel and when you watch Mr. Beast's video, you're going to be entertained. There's going to be a spectacle that you see. So his consistent value that he offers is entertainment. Whereas if you go to Alex Hall Moses' YouTube channel, you're going to get a business advice that's going to help you grow your business. So his consistent value there is 
entrepreneurial advice. Um, move over to some of the tech YouTubers, MKBHD, Linus Tech Tips. You're going to get information on technology. So there's always a singular consistent value being delivered across these channels. But within that, they're making like MKBHD, even though he's making a tech video, he still makes it as broadly appealing as possible. Maybe rather than just looking at one phone, he's rivaling that phone against another phone. So rather than talking to just people who are interested in one phone, he's now capturing two audiences that are interested in each separate device. So he's, he's making that broad appeal. Maybe he's adding some like a story around it or some stakes. Like if I don't do this in five minutes, then this bad thing's going to happen. So he's making it entertaining and broadening his appeal. So it's, it's understanding your value proposition and, and what you want, what value you want to be giving the viewer, but also within that value, making it as widely appealing as possible. That's, that's kind of the balance that I'm seeing across huge successful YouTubers. So that's, that's really interesting. So what I'm hearing is that there's what I do for money. And then there's what's going to be attractive to my audience, the audience that spends money on that thing, but they don't have to be, there doesn't have to be a direct correlation. Sure. So how this can look in a business sense and why that the strategy I, I just explained to you, I think why that is the way to go is yeah. By going broad appeal, you're maybe talking to more than just your target customer, but the way YouTube works from what I'm increasingly seeing is growth. And momentum creates more and growth and more momentum on a channel. So you can go super niche and maybe attract like 50 or 100 of your target audience, but then the video will die a death because most people that saw that video on the home base didn't click it. So no one watched it. Or you can go general and like still attract those 100 people in your target audience, but attracts maybe a thousand people who are interested in the, in the topic, but don't completely meet the criteria for your target customer, but they have the same interest as your target customer. And YouTube is going to see that in that initial test, many more people watch that video in that first 10 days than originally. So it's going to push it out to another 10,000 people, another million. And even though each time you're not getting your only your specific target audience, they're definitely included in that. You know, yeah. you're getting much more people, but they're definitely included in each iteration of growth that YouTube puts you through. And then what that looks like in terms of getting sales is you go general with the YouTube video, but what I'm seeing with a lot of the entrepreneurs I speak to is they then offer pro specific products that people can go to as the next step as they, after they've watched the YouTube video. And that's where you mm. kind of filter down from the general viewer to your target customer as that next call to action. So for the marketers in the room, what you're describing is a lot of top of funnel content, and then you can nudge people down the funnel with the much tighter content and the offers. Sure. Yeah. And by, by just not limiting your reach and, and going super targeted mm. at stage one, you're setting yourself up for a much larger top of funnel content at the start. I really like that. And I, I'm getting tingles. Uh, when I get tingles <laughs> for the listener, that means I'm excited and I know something's going to work. Mm -hmm. One of the things you mentioned earlier was the, creating content that actually drives sales and specifically you work with coaches, consultants, and educational entrepreneurs, people who sell courses and things like that. And I think this is probably something a lot of people listening would be interested to understand. Mm -hmm. What is it? Because nobody wants to be too pushy in a YouTube video. That doesn't sure. work very well. So what kind of triggers can people be considering when they're planning content in order to get that balance right? 
in terms of like what type of video should they be making or what should they be saying inside those videos? The latter. What should people be saying inside those videos in order that people know that they're available? Sure. Yeah. So I've explored this a lot and there's, there's numerous ways you can approach this. And I'm always testing and tweaking and refining. But where I am now, kind of the approach I currently believe is best and I'm testing it out on my business is I think as small an ask as possible at stage one is the best way to go. So rather than, you know, someone's just found you on YouTube and watched one of your videos for the first time, and then now you're asking them to buy 500 pound products from you, that's a big ask. They don't know, like, and trust you. There's a low likelihood they're going to take that step. Whereas, say, for example, they've watched your video on, I'm just looking at your channel now, Bob, how to get more done on threads in less time. They've watched that video and then you give offer them off YouTube a free PDF on like 10 unmissable threads tips to 10x your growth in the next 12 months. Or a YouTube video on um, how you should be using threads within all your other social media platforms. That's a very low stakes ask isn't it it's free so they haven't got to pay anything and it's in line with what they've come to your original video for and i think that's the best way to go because i'm sure you know being in sales and marketing the more value we can give out the more likely we are to win a customer in the long run so it's a low stakes ask you're able to capture their email address when you give them that freebie and i think you've got the higher likelihood at that point of capturing converting them from viewer to email list from contact and then from that point through continual value and continual future steps in the funnel, you can then convert them to customers at a late stage. So if somebody listening is brand new to YouTube, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to give this a go. One of the things that I've learned, and you'll be aware of the same, is there are an awful lot of variables to what drives success on YouTube. But for somebody who's brand new, what are the variables that they should really be paying attention to? Great question. So I'm going to draw from the mistakes I've made myself (laughs) for my six years in YouTube. My big one, and I've already kind of loosely touched on this already, is consistency. I think that's probably the biggest one. And consistency can be broken down into a few different examples. So as I was mentioning earlier, you know, we go to MKBHD for tech tips. We go to Alex Hormozy for business tips. You're consistent. You're purpose of your channel needs to stay consistent. No one wants to find a channel on something they really like. So, you know, say I love train watching and I find a video on an amazing train going through uh, London Paddington Station. I thought, oh, this, I love trains. This is the YouTube channel for me. I subscribe. A week later, I come back onto YouTube and that YouTube channel has, has uploaded a football World Cup video from the fan stadium. That's got nothing to do with my interest and why I signed up to that channel. And as YouTubers, I know like we, we see ourselves as multifaceted and having like a, a huge variety of interests, but your viewer doesn't care about that. They care about the thing they found your channel for and subscribe to it. And if you want that viewer to keep coming back, you have to have a consistent singular value that you're delivering through your channel. That's, that's like my fundamental belief on YouTube. So when you're looking at content strategy, one of the things I think a lot of people worry about is being repetitive. So how do you plan to be singular in that focus, but without being repetitive? Sure. Or is being repetitive even a problem? 
First off, I don't think repetition is as big a problem as most people think, because the internet is a fast-moving place. People have short memory. You can actually, you can get away with rehashing content that's worked well in the past more often than than you think. So I'll just start with that. Secondly, and I've learned this from uh, a YouTuber with over one and a half billion views that I interviewed recently. What he does is he has lessons that he knows are valuable to teach and he knows his audience need to know, but he finds different ways to deliver and, and package up those ideas, those lessons. So say, for example, you're a how to make money online YouTube channel. One video could be, you know, how to make money online with a blog or how to make money online with Instagram. And really the fundamentals are probably going to be the same. Mm. Build an audience, send them to affiliate marketing links or X, Y, and Z. But you can, like I said, you can package those ideas in different ways. And what he does as well is he looks out for what is the current thing that my target viewer is interested in. So that making money online example channel a month ago, that or month or two months ago, that thing would have been ChatGPT and AI. So he would have been using the same lessons of how to make money online, but with different relevant packaging, meeting his audience where they currently are and where their interests currently are. And if you do that, it doesn't seem like you're repeating yourself because it's being packaged and delivered in, in diff for a different vehicle. And but in essence, it really is kind of the same tips and advice with a few changes and tweaks. So we've kind of spoken about your YouTube journey. We, we, you've alluded to it, but we haven't actually directly spoken about it. Mm. And I think it's always instructional to understand what led to somebody arriving at 96,000 YouTube subscribers in six sure. years. Six years is a relatively short period of time. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're all our own worst critic. I, I, it could have been shorter. You know, I often remind myself that, but yeah, you have to also you know, remind yourself of your achievements. So yeah, I am, I am glad to be where I am for sure. So I guess I have to understand what led to you stepping into YouTube because you would have been a very different Greg Priest when it happened. 100%. So what did that look like? And then what has that done to you? How have you changed through that journey? Sure. Yeah, so I started my channel six years ago. I was 27. I just quit my job, jumped on a train to Canada, one-way ticket, and I just wanted a change of pace. I, I After years of lack of fulfillment in a nine-to-five job, I realized that the problem wasn't that I was in the wrong job. It was that a job was wrong for me and I needed to be my own boss. So jump on a plane to figure that out. And I'd always been into video making and photography. So I just decided why not start a channel to document this new journey that I'm on. And I also saw me putting that out into the world as, as a kind of accountability as well. I had to see it through because people were watching me on my journey and I told them I was going to do this. So that was the origins. Early content was around the same usual steps that someone new to entrepreneurship usually goes through, drop shipping, print on demand, like buying cheap products from China to understand it to the Western market, just going through the motions. And so a lot of my early content was around that. And then when I eventually returned to the UK a couple of years later, I'd been loving trying out these businesses, loving growing the channel, came back to uni to study a master's in entrepreneurship. And because of my changing circumstances, my changing amount of free time, 
the channel had to change. I didn't have enough time to be making each individual video and putting all the time and effort that I was previously. So decided to transition to a more, rather than a documentary type of channel, a more sort of educational channel. So very similar to what it is today and um, due to just less time. That started, that did really well, me reflecting on what I'd learned from those earlier experiments. And then slowly I started sprinkling in YouTube focus videos, uh, what I'd learned about YouTube too, that started to equally do well. Then lockdown happened and everyone decided they wanted to be a YouTuber and a TikToker influencer because they were at home. So my YouTube, how to be a YouTuber content then exploded during that time, right place, right time. And I've kind of just been staying the course ever since, since then. The one thing you mentioned there was lockdown and then everybody was doing it. Mm. I think a lot of people, if they're coming to YouTube for on day one, like today, okay, today I'm going to explore the idea of starting a YouTube channel. Yeah. They would probably understandably think it's too late. It's sure. just too busy. It's too noisy. What would you say to them? I would say that is a justified and understandable concern. And my answer to this has actually recently changed to what it was in the past, because you do see a lot of these YouTube expert YouTube channels saying it's never too late. You just need to start. I don't know how true that is. I think they potentially have a vested interest to say that because their viewers could potentially become customers. I don't think it's too late to start. I mean, you still have, you still see breakout successes and huge growth now. But one thing I've been exploring with my channel and why growth on my channel has slowed down and I've been sort of batting this idea back and forth with much larger YouTubers I've been interviewing on my channel and, and speaking to in my group is competition is definitely fiercer across a wide variety of niches now than it was five years ago when I started or 10 years ago. And I, th I think larger channels definitely have an advantage over smaller channels because when they release a new video, they, they have the loyal subscribers already you they get pushed out to much more people than a smaller guy well than the smaller guys do uh, so they have a much higher chance of getting momentum at the start and, and seeing success long story short i don't think it's too late to start but i think you need to have something unique about yourself now whether it's a unique topic you're talking about or a unique take on that topic because i, I the website is just so diluted and competitive now that if you're coming in talking about the same thing other people are talking about who are much bigger than you, I think it's almost impossible to break through. I think listening to you, I 100% agree from one perspective. And I think that's the perspective of building a business on YouTube specifically. But I think something that I find with my very modest YouTube presence is I don't need to impact a lot of people mm -hmm. to have a big impact in my life. I personally only need maybe three or four new clients a year. I tend to work with people quite long-term. Cool. So my modest YouTube presence plays a part in the relationships that I'm building with a wider audience. And it does make a big difference to how people meet me when I first speak to them. They've often already decided before I meet them that they like, know, and trust me. So I think it's important to offer that alongside what you described there. Sure. Yeah. So just to clarify, I was answering the previous questions purely of the metrics of success being views. And yeah. if you're chasing tens, hundreds of thousands of views, it's hard to break through uh, if that's your approach. If you're an entrepreneur and you only need, you know, a hundred views per video, then yeah, the, the, 
I, I definitely think there's more reason for entrepreneurs to start on YouTube if they've got a core income source outside of YouTube and YouTube is just fueling that income source for sure. Um, but if you're relying just on views to pay your bills and you're coming in and talking about the same thing million subscriber YouTube channels are, you might need to change your plan. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners or viewers entertainment, if you were to poke a stick at my YouTube channel, because the listener can go and do this for themselves. And while you're there, hit subscribe. But <laughs> what would you, in a five bullet point, Bob, you need to do this. What would mm. you be saying? Oh, yeah. Great question. I'm, I'm on the spot here. I'm taking a look through now. <laughs> so for people who are listening and not watching, looks like you're doing a video every every week to two weeks. I, um, I aim to do it every week, but I fell, fell off the wagon a bit recently. Sure. And they're getting between, like, usually under 100 views. Yeah. Probably about 30 to 100 views per video. Okay. Last few videos were on social media tips, best social media platform in 2023, ChatGPT. I like that you did ChatGPT, trending topic, um, higher chance of getting views. So, okay. So first off, if I sort your videos by popular, I can see that your video, the five three analytics tools every website owner should be using in 2022, 7,600 views Crazy. is miles above your second to most popular video with 1,700 views. So the first thing I'd be saying to you, and forgive me if you have, I've not dug into your channel enough, is the first thing I'd be saying to you is why haven't you made more free analytics tools videos? To build the on obvious success? question to that is because that's not really what I want to be known for. Like we kind of discussed that a little bit earlier on. That it might not be what I want to be known for, but it's what people want to know about. Mm. So I have been thinking, you know what, I need to do more tools style videos. Yeah. Because there's there's lots to talk about. YouTube's really great at giving us the answers and giving us the clues to what we need to do. If we just look dig, dig into the data, look into the numbers, we do see breakout successes like this. And you you definitely remind me of a lot of YouTubers who don't want to be pigeonholed into going down one topic too much. But um, if you look at all the biggest channels, they're, they're doing it. They're rehashing them, the previous biggest hits and just riding that momentum and riding that success of what of the signals that YouTube has given them. So first off, I'd say look at what's done well before and double down on that and explore on that more in the past. Secondly, when it comes to videos doing well from what I've learned, and what I teach, the three biggest things are the video idea. Like we have to have a great idea for anyone to want to watch the video in the first place. So we need to start with a great idea. And then when we've had the idea, we also need a great title and a great thumbnail to go with that idea. Because if the title and thumbnail are awful, even if you've got the best idea in the world, when people are skimming through the homepage, they're going to glaze straight, go straight past your video because they haven't been their attention hasn't been captured. So those are kind of three things I'm always trying to like diagnose and like look at in particular with YouTubers when we're kind of trying to realize opportunities for improvements and faster growth. So thumbnails, I'd be asking, are your thumbnails instantly capturing attention and instantly giving a viewer an understanding of what the video is about? Certainly when I compare mine to yours, the answer is an easy no. I think I'm aware I, I put you on the spot with that little question again, and I, I want to maybe just put you out your misery and not go any deeper into that because it isn't 
fair without having actually the strategy conversation that we should have had before shooting from the hip diagnosis <laughs> and looking for opportunities. Oh, that's okay. I, I do um, this every day, so I don't mind being in the firing line. But at, at the same time, too, I also know that some people don't like to, maybe this isn't the sort of thing you want to hear about in public too. Oh and no, yeah, I'm happy. If you've got more to say, you just keep on punching. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm happy. Like just to preface this by saying it's all from a place of love. Like sometimes it could be, <laughs> if you hear like constructive feedback, you can, it can feel it hard to hear and, and, and maybe feel like unfair to hear it. But I'm a big believer of like shooting from the hip and being honest with this stuff actually helps us to grow because it's it's a, an, a, it's a third person perspective it's seeing things through fresh eyes and yeah. i think that's how we, we we learn to grow and best so yeah i'd be i'd be exploring visual storytelling a bit more with you like how can i use what's in that thumbnail what images and what text and and the, the flow of how the viewers eye moves through the thumbnail to how can i tell a story with, with that like in the first second or two that someone's looking at my thumbnail rather than them having to work hard and read all of the text and, and then go to the title. If you can give someone an understanding um, f- of what the video is, is about faster than other people can do, you're an advantage there. And secondly, I think you could potentially add a little bit of, maybe sensationalism isn't the, the best word, but you know, for example, the second video from the most recent best social media platform in 2023. What is separating that video from the tens of thousands of other best social media platform in 2003 videos that will already be on YouTube. Yeah. And what you quite often find is that by adding maybe an opinion into the title or by adding some stakes, like that you need to know this if you're trying to do this, by adding a little bit more context to a title, we can make our video unique, sign up from the crowd and, and uh, get, get attention to that video rather than losing it in, in the sea of videos that are the same as ours in essence. So I'll leave it there. I don't want to overwhelm you, but hopefully those were some useful points that you and the listeners can uh, can learn from. I think it's interesting with the thumbnails because you hear about all the things that work. And I think we all as professionals want to come across as professional and we want to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And therefore we position ourselves in terms of how we present as not too out there. But actually, if you look at what YouTube wants and what works on YouTube, it isn't that. Mm-hmm. It is exactly as you describe. It's being the slightly more extreme version of whatever it is. It is sensationalism, attention-seeking. That's what works. So I guess we all have to embrace that a little bit. Sure. I wouldn't say it comes down to just sensationalism. I think sensationalism is one way of separating yourself from the rest of the crowd. I think it comes down to how can I come across as unique and different to every other video. So another way you could have done that is, you know, best social media platforms in 2023 for coaches and consultants or for, you know, there's going to be much less videos targeting that group and and being defined for that group than there are general videos. So, So where sensationalism is one way of giving yourself a unique appeal, there's other tools that you can do too, but I think it's, it all comes down to how do I stand out from the crowd and, and separate myself from the rest of the noise? Yeah, I guess it's like selling anything. We, we know what sells and finding some way to have a really clear resolution to a pain or a really clear gateway to a gain, making it really clear that those things are there and that you really shouldn't avoid it. There's, I guess that's what we're talking about here some basic 
psychology and simply having a pretty thumbnail that isn't strategic in that way. It's it's not really, you shouldn't really expect it to compete with those that have had a little bit of thought put into them beyond simply looking pretty. Greg, I'm yeah. very aware of the time and you have been very generous with your time. I could honestly keep talking with you for another <laughs> hour. And I think with your permission, I may do that again in the future. 100%. For now, I think we should probably park this. And I'm going to ask you one question. And that's what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? Mm-hmm. I'm toying with two different answers to this. You can have two. It's really fine. Okay. Let's go with two. First off is purely for, for YouTube's sake and, and growing and becoming a better YouTuber, competitor research and market research, finding what topics are working well for other people in my niche helps me build an understanding of what my viewers actually care about and what they're interested in. And is there a new topic or technology or person that everyone in my niche is talking about or all of my target viewers are talking about that I don't know of? And I found that by doing routine competitive research, it's helped me stay on top of those things. So that would be the first one. Second, and today is a demonstration of this. The second thing is networking. When I went self-employed, my default approach to self-employment was just get your head down and get the work done. And it's only in the last 12 or so months when I've actually prioritized dedicating time to reach out to people, expand my network, expand my contacts, leave people a comment, see how people are doing, that the opportunities that have come my way have increased exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as a business owner in general, um, networking has it's been a huge change and a huge benefit in the last 12 months. I think that's impossible to underestimate the importance of because I think everybody's heard the phrase, your income rises to the level of the five people you spend most time with. Mm-hmm. But that's equally true of your ambition and your understanding of what's even possible and your confidence. It's true of so many things. And I think in the creator community in particular, Spending time around fellow travelers normalizes, which from that for which where most people is extremely unusual. Sure. And that is really, really useful. It's really practical, but it's very powerful as well. Greg, you have been a great guest. I have had a lot of fun. I can't wait to do this again sometime. <laughs> but for now, thank you very much. Oh, no. Oh. I nearly forgot. If people want to connect with you, how can oh, I yeah. do that? How bad would it have been <laughs> if I'd forgotten that? <laughs> sure, yeah. So... If you want YouTube tips and are people much bigger and more um, qualified than me to give them, uh, you'll catch my podcast episodes and the clips of my podcast on my main YouTube channel, self-titled Greg Priest. Um, hopefully, Bob can put the link to the channel in the description. I also share um, tips, findings, new discoveries around YouTube and what's working well on my Twitter. So, um, at the Greg Priest, I'll send the link to you as well for that, Bob. I have a newsletter where if you want to get better at making thumbnails and writing titles, every week I send 10 of the most high-performing titles and thumbnails I've seen that week. I send those out to my newsletter listeners. So I'll put a link to that in the description, hopefully, Bob. I'll send that over to you. And finally, I'm covering all bases here. You can see this is my bread and butter sort of sales on YouTube and, and lead generation. I have a 
PDF of 50 chat GPT prompts for YouTubers to use to come up with better video ideas, to write better titles, to write scripts faster. Um, so I'll give you a link to that download page too. And you can choose to include all or some of them in the description, Bob. But they're in the interview, so they'll go in the show notes. And I downloaded the 50 chat GPT prompts about an hour and a half ago, and it's really good. And I can't wait to get into that. Oh, amazing. I'm glad they liked it. So, Greg, that does bring us to the end of another show. Thanks to you at home for listening. And if you did enjoy the show, then I would gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating. That's five, like the fingers on your hand, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you did enjoy the show, then you will also love the Personal Brand Business Roadmap. It's 100% free as a gift from me. 50 pages of everything you will need to start, scale, or fix your expert business. You can tap the link in the show notes or read the description below this video wherever you find it or visit amplifyme.agency forward slash roadmap thanks for watching or listening and i will see you next time